I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. We have an amazing guest on with us today who has researched and counseled on so many topics essential to athletes. Dr. Ben Holtberg is a developmental scientist and is vice president of research and practice at Search Institute. He's an expert on things like emotion regulation under stress, transcendent motivation and purpose, promoting resilience through adversity, and the importance of virtue development for high performance. And if those sound like complicated topics, don't worry. Ben breaks them down into understandable concepts and even teaches us techniques and gives us tools to improve. I even talked him into doing a breathing exercise for us toward the end of the episode so that we can learn and understand mindfulness. This conversation is jam-packed with tools, tips, and techniques to improve your performance, but we also take a very powerful dive into our identity and purpose. But before we get into this profound episode, please take a minute to subscribe and give us a five-star review. It means so much to me personally, but it also enables us to keep bringing on these amazing guests. And as my gift to you for listening today, I have a freebie that contains five smart strategies for confidence. To snag it, just go on over to laurawilkinson.com slash learn. All right. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode. Dr. Ben Holtberg, I am so excited to talk to you again and to have you here with us today on the Pursuit of Gold podcast. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you so much, Laura. I'm happy to be here. <laughs> well, I love to get a little background of, on our guests so that our audience can kind of connect with us a little better. And and with what you're doing, I also love that it can show that sports and the end of a sports career isn't always just the end of a way of life. Sometimes it leads to something even more beautiful. So I'd love us to kind of share a little bit of your athletic background and how you got into what you're doing today. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I grew up playing sports and in the heartland of, of America and in Kansas. And I don't know, sometime, sometime when I was young, I think it was probably in a, in, in a jogathon in elementary school, I figured out that I could just run a little bit faster and longer than a lot of people. And so my love for, for running and sports kind of emerged as a kid. And, you know, I, I, I can still kind of like, I'm sure many of your listeners and, and you too can, I still can kind of close my eyes and envision uh, a couple of those moments of just feeling that, that, that breeze and that wind going, you know, through your hair and just that, that exhilaration of, of just moving and, 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 and enjoyment. And so, so running for me, uh, was a part of my life, uh, from young, uh, and, and I also did multiple sports. I played pretty much every sport, football as a distance runner, as you can imagine, I was never, uh, really the right size for a football player. <laughs> and so, um, I, I realized that pretty young, but then I also played basketball through, through high school and, and pretty much just loved to, to compete. I mean, there was something in me that really came out. I, m- my best came out during competition and, and I can, you know, just remember a few pivotal moments where I discovered like being able to push through pain in, in, in a new way. And uh, so I had a successful high school career and got got a full ride scholarship to, to college, ran Division One track. And and um, and, you know, part partly through that that way, I dealt with, of course, what what 
what all athletes deal with is that mental stress of, of at each level I got better, the pressure got higher and it was like kind of redefining who I was. And I remember my first college race stepping on the line and looking at the list of competitors and thinking, well, now there's like 17 state champions on this line. I'm not the only one, you know? And so, but so college was a great experience for me too, and was pretty successful at that level. And, and, um, Really enjoyed it. I mean, I, I also was plagued by injury. I, I, I don't think I ever got that right balance down of, of pushing, uh, not pushing too hard. And so I had eight stress fractures through, through my college oh. career. And so that was, that was rough. And, yeah. um, each time was kind of a, you know, my first time, especially, I kind of fell into a, a, a pretty deep depression about it of, of, I was a freshman in, in college and, and I had to redshirt and it really is the first time I had uh, faced significant adversity in my running, my running career. And, and it just was like kind of a loss of identity for me. I just didn't really know much what, what to do. And, and so, so I, I went through several of those things, but at the end, I, I think it, it really helped shape who I was. And, and then I went on to run, um, after college and, and run the U S championships and, um, run at that level, kind of in the, the, the tier two circuit. And then in 2000, I think it was 2007 or so I came to this conclusion after another injury that it was time for me to, to, to stop running. And so I became a licensed marriage and family therapist around that time. I was still training, getting my, my master's degree. And I started working in a large, uh, high school in Oklahoma and, uh, was coaching and, and seeing and, and working with kids, kids that were facing incredible challenges and difficulties. And, and, you know, I, I really love that work. I love to work with the, see these kids faces. I love to be out there and co- to, to coach. I could feel my passion begin to kind of transfer into helping others be better and help teach them things that I learned, but even go beyond that. And so that was really great work, but I, I kept coming back to this place where I wanted to learn more. And my identity in sports was so much stronger through most of my life than my academic kind of identity. And so when academics, when I started to study and understand psychology, I fell in love with it. And in my, my, my same exhilaration for sports began to transfer over to my, my desire to want to understand uh, how the mind works and how relationships work. And so I didn't know much about academics. I didn't, I didn't know what really what a PhD was, or it just wasn't how I grew up or what, what I thought about. But uh, a professor really uh, encouraged me to apply. I applied to one program, got into Oklahoma State. And so that's why I started studying the, the impact of context of stress on, on kids' physiological systems and how it shapes them and how relationships are really crucial to uh, protect kids against, you know, negative outcomes from being exposed to violence or, or difficult circumstances. And, and so I started to think of the kids' stories that I was working with in relation to my research. And when that came together, I just felt a, a sense of purpose around what I was doing. And so, so I, I finished my degree and, and went through the academic route uh, as a professor and really was not interested in studying sports <laughs> at all. Like, really? Yeah. I, I think it, for, for me, it was like, you know, probably one of those bittersweet things because I think I, I always felt I didn't quite reach the potential I wanted to. And so I think I was going through my own pain there. And so I was trying to like figure that out. So I thought, well, if I can just be excellent at this, then I can, then I can kind of 
get over my my breakup with with sports, right. you know. So yeah, I just didn't I didn't really put it together, but a mutual friend of ours um, that you know, Ashley Knoll, and 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 others were always involving me in things, and I started to then started to really uh, study as a as a researcher the impact of of sports, especially uh, emotional health on performance, and thinking about how sports is can be really a powerful um, shaper of character and, and good qualities and bring out the best, but it also has can have a shadow side when when athletes are under these extreme pressure. And it, and it started to actually marry what I uh, researched in the physio lab around kids and their environments that shape their physiological systems also is the same way that we, we, we think about when there's high stressful situations like uh, performance at an elite level, um, how that fear, when fear is experienced or fear of failure or the anticipation of this competition will hurt my identity or, or reflect negatively on me so I'll have less relationships or my self-value goes down, it actually triggers the same physiological mechanisms as the kid who walks out their front door and is threatened physically and has to be aware. And that physiological reaction to stress and to to fear has real consequences on people's performance. And so this is where I started to kind of shift my focus to want to do more research with elite athletes and study elite athletes. And meanwhile, really getting to know and be around elite athletes more and and studying more uh, and having anecdotal uh, kind of uh, therapeutic relationships with, with some elite athletes and kind of begin to work with athletes on this. And so that was over, you know, about, you know, been doing this for, for over a decade now. And that's how I came into the, the world of, of studying this, this area of performance and emotional health and sports. So, so you tried to get away, but they kept pulling you back in. Is that what I'm hearing? Back. I know there, there was definitely something there, a purpose, a divine purpose to keep coming back to it. And in some ways, the beauty of that, Laura, was uh, in the process of trying to study this, I experienced my own kind of healing in, in some of the wounds that I experienced as, as an athlete and growing up in that culture, which, which really allowed me to appreciate what sports did for me and, and move past the pain. I think that's really important because a lot of times we do just try to compartmentalize it, put it away. It's done. It's behind me. I can just forget it now. But like if you never really like look at it or kind of grieve through it or process it, like it still kind of hangs back there, oh, yeah. isn't it? <laughs> and you know, it, it it not only hangs back, but it, it shows up in other aspects of your of your life. Like un, kind of that that unprocessed or undealt pain will often come up in, in, in your relationships with your partner or with, with, uh, at work in an evaluation from a boss or in lots of ways. And so I think, you know, that commitment to, to really, um, processing it and going through the, the process, especially for athletes who might be retiring or, or athletes who go through an injury, it is really difficult because it is so central to who we are and, and it's an important pursuit for us, you know? Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Well, something that uh, you and I have talked about before and, and a lot of athletes have actually talked about it on the pursuit of gold here um, is this idea of identity, which you kind of alluded to uh, a few minutes ago, but it, you know, where it's found or what, what our identity is based on and, and Abby and Jacob Cooper specifically mentioned performance-based identity back in episode 23. And um, I would love it if you could explain to us what what performance-based identity is. Yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with wanting to pursue excellence in performance. It's a, it's an important pursuit. And 
and we we want to optimally perform. And this this idea of performance based identity came from was wanting to start to understand some of the core motivations behind the pursuit of excellence. And and when the core motivation behind the pursuit of excellence has to do with proving you your self-worth as a human being and feeling good about what you offer this world as a human being, when results start to get wrapped up as the main definer of your self-worth, then it has devastating um, consequences. Um, and this was something that we, we, we've studied. I've studied in, in several different studies this has come up, but performance-based identity really includes a fear of failure. So there's a, you're not performing to see what, what best can come out of you, but you're, you're afraid of the consequences if you fail. Uh, it also has a self-worth that's based on your results. And that's that's also uh, critical. And then there's this kind of perfectionism, but it's more of a perfectionist uh, uh, concern of making a mistake or or even the social consequences of what that means, that my reputation or my rapport with people will be really greatly harmed if I fail. And so when people are performing out of that kind of fear, it can motivate them at times to get out of bed in the morning. It can motivate you to put that second workout in. It can light a fire for a while. But the problem is it's not a sustainable fuel. Because again, going back to the kind of my intro, is like because physiologically your sympathetic nervous system is being activated often when you even with this anticipation to threat to your social self. So you're triggering those mechanisms for adrenaline and other things that becomes adrenaline and then eventually cortisol. And those are not sustainable hormones over time. They have devastating impacts on on your functionality, how you function, and even being able to sustain high performance. And so, so performance-based identity, and, and, and some people also um, have talked to me about achieve, being an achievement-based identity as well, because they're, they really, you know, the performance side of things is, is it, it is something that we all have to do. But either, either how you put it, it's really taking stock of, stock of where am I putting the core of my worth and value as a human being. Right. Like, is it dependent on my score at the end or my time or my place in the podium? Or is, is that how I, I base my my value and my worth? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. and, and I, I want to dig into that because you, you mentioned like, you know, when you're you're doing this out of fear, you're basically performing and, and, and doing this stuff out of fear. And that drops, um, you know, all the adrenaline and the cortisol and all that. And that's not sustainable. Like, explain to me, like, more what that means. Uh, like, are, do you just get drained and you're exhausted or like, what does that do to you physically? And mentally. Yeah. If when you think about your, your, your sympathetic nervous system, when it's activated, it's really activated in this way to, to mobilize the current threat. So it's when that happens, lots of other parts of our body start to shut down, actually, like our, how we digest our food and even our immune system is suppressed for that moment. So, so really it's geared towards the adrenal system is geared towards really mobilizing and taking care of that immediate threat. And it's short-lived. It's like why a, a distance runner doesn't want their adrenaline to be to be uh, really high before they step to the line because it's a long race. You, you, you know, where, whereas a 100-meter runner might want to get a, a little bit more amped for that race so they're ready to go when the gun goes off. But when we're just 
when we're just sitting in our office or, or we're, we're in our room or we're out to eat and we're anticipating some threat to ourself and that physiological system is being constantly drained, then what happens is it's not, it, it really isn't giving a chance for recovery. And, and there's this idea of that kind of idea of allostatic load where over time, it really wreaks havoc on the body. And so this is, this is on the extreme end is people who have experienced trauma in their life or, or lots of adverse circumstances in their life as a child. Uh, those events over time really have impact even later in life on brain functioning, on physiological functioning. Now with athletes, that's not quite as extreme, I don't think, because your body is moving often, which is also a very protective uh, process for your uh, autonomic nervous system. But in particular, I think when there is this constant threat to your self that's triggering that, it is depleting your resources, depleting you before you even get to the competition. And so I really firmly believe that there's a lot of athletes who quote unquote choke or, or, or bonk or whatever you want to call it that really comes from an overstimulated uh, uh, sympathetic nervous system that even in the best shapes of their life, it's really hard for them to perform because they've kind of um, really, uh, they've been living in that de- depleted state for a while. Wow. So I mean, that's, there's so many consequences to that. And I, I'm guessing a lot of the times we don't even realize that it's happening because sometimes it's easy to look back and be like, oh, I see how I was doing that. And I see how I was really concerned with the outcome or, you know, I was worried about how people are thinking about me and all those things. But how in the moment can you recognize if you're struggling with that? I think there's some really important body work to do in, in athletes. So one thing about you know, working with athletes is they usually they usually are acutely aware of their body, of how it works and how it functions. And when they're, you know, you always have to gauge your your level of soreness or or injuries. And, and I think the same is true about your emotional state is really becoming aware in the moment to take note of those body sensations. And I think everybody, when you have that physiological arousal, everybody can experience it a little bit differently. Like, like, you know, one thing that I do in therapy, working with even regulation, emotion regulation or anger regulation, as I might talk to somebody and say, well, when you get really angry, where do you feel it in your body? And the idea of that is that often our body responds even before we are able to process it cognitively. I mean, I think this is where people think somehow if we control our thoughts and it will control our emotions and then, but that's not actually true that the emotions and the, and the thinking really go hand in hand. But there are times where that emotional reaction in the brain, but really in the body happens as these kind of markers to like if if you if you went out for a walk and you're you're afraid of snakes and say say you you just saw a picture of a snake and you were you were thinking about it and and, and you, you, you yeah right Not and you're on heightened the, awareness at all yeah, exactly <laughs> and you go to the trail and you see something that looks like a stick right, it's a stick but it looks like a snake your body will react even before you're able to label that a stick so that that has consequences. Well, and I get that because sometimes I'll wake up like the morning of a meet and I'm like, wow, I don't even feel nervous. And then next thing I know, I'm running to the bathroom and like yes. physically it's coming out. And I'm like, well, I guess I am, <laughs> you know, and I don't even recognize it emotionally yet. You know, that's interesting. I never thought about that too much. Yeah. And just and just knowing when you got to like, what is the coping skill? So you reckon you, you first have to become aware of it and and you have to, I think, become aware of it and also learn to label it. And then the third thing is really then um, find the right the right coping skill. What? what helps you regulate in the moment, whether it's a mantra, whether it's a prayer, whether it's something that kind of names it. I might say something like, 
oh, I, I, I feel that. Like, I, I remember I can still, I'm sure many of your listeners and you can, I can still feel that when I think about certain races in my oh, yeah. life. And, and that, and, and just to say, oh, that's good. Like, I feel that excitement. It's there, but it's not time yet. And so I'm reframing in a way this possibly even some of the fear of it, but I'm reframing it as excitement and I'm trying to relabel that for myself just, and also then to, to name it and say, but it's not time yet. What, what do I need to do? I might listen to some music. I might do my breathing exercises. But the first thing is awareness during your day and think about the context. Like some people have this performance-based identity in, in their sport, they're high achievers in sport, but they also have it at, in college and their school. And so Think about that is even if you're if if there's a performance based identity that moves across different domains of your life, that's really problematic because how many times are you pulling from that system? If you're stressed out, it's going to impact your performance. If and so our our external lives and relationships and and, and stressors all can have a, a positive or negative consequences physiologically on us. And so so those are, you know, I think becoming aware of when I feel it, what's the context of when I feel it, thinking about how can I label it, uh, what can I do uh, to, to really regulate it, and then, and then what are the things in my life that, that you know, taking stock of, of the things in your life, if there's outside stressors that are, are, are really kind of uh, taking your emotional energy. This is so good. I so many so many questions and and tangents from this, and I, I, I mean, kind of along these lines, like what we were talking about, like when we went to the Olympics in two thousand eight, and usually we're there for like a good month before, you know, we're competing. We're there for a long time, and sometimes we get to escape and go to a training trip and and kind of get out, and that's usually really helpful to kind of clear your mind and like reset when you go back and you're ready. But when we went to Beijing in two thousand eight they took away our training trip and we had to stay there for a month. And I saw people competing two weeks before me and I got so excited and so wound up and I was on and I was ready. And then two weeks later when it was my turn, I was done. So, and I recognized that that was a problem, but I didn't know what to do about it. Like, what are some of the ways that if we're recognizing it, that we can, like you said, regulate that? There's some really important things about emotion regulation. One, one is that emotion regulation is not just an internal process. So it's not just, it's not just you getting the right mindset or skills to regulate your emotions. That is really, really critical. And we are, we do have the ability and autonomy to regulate our own emotions, but it's also relational. And it's this idea of co-regulation is I'm sure you, you, you experience this too. Like if I'm going through a really difficult time in my life or I had a hard day at work, there's something about when I just go home and I can just sit next to my wife and just be by her that there's an instantaneous regulation of my emotion. It's like the calming. And this, this has a lot to do with our innate need for connection and relationship. And so sometimes external factors like relationships, the right people to talk to, to be with, to, to surround yourself with can really be, bring you a piece, a, a, a sense of calm. So the first one is thinking about, and I'll get to the more internal sets of tools too, but but uh, I think most people would think, especially as athletes, well, I just got to control this myself and it's all internal. And, yep. <laughs> and, and sometimes that actually makes it worse, right? Like I'm just going to, I'm just going to, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to push this down or I'm going to repress it or I'm not going to think about it. So awareness and thinking about what can I do? And, and so one thing is those, those relationships. The other is connecting to something greater than yourself. I mean, this research has shown us over and over is that we deal with stress and pain better when we have a purpose that's bigger than ourselves, when it's connected to uh, something else than just my own, you know, kind of pursuit, my individual pursuit. So if I, if competing or, or uh, is, is, 
uh, something, you know, people can have a, a strong spirituality and, and, and faith around this saying, well, I got this. These gifts are a gift from God and, and it's my spiritual act of worship. And so it's. It's not about the performance. It's it's about the process of of really uh, uh, the joy of this experience, but also this worship. Or people might say that I think of all the people who really uh, poured into my life and how excited they are that I'm here, and I just want to soak this in and be present. And so, thinking of whatever that transcendent motivation can be uh, can also really help calm you emotionally. Then there's just the really practical tools of learning how to regulate your emotions. And one of the most key components of regulating that, because our physiological system, when, when our sympathetic nervous system is activated, often our heart rate goes up and our breathing gets more shallow. The breath is really connected to, to our sympathetic nervous system. And one of the easiest way to, to, to calm ourselves actually is through breath work and, and really uh, honing in on understanding how to be curious about your breath and, and, and tuning into your breath has this ability to, to, to really bring, bring some calm. And, and, and so often I'll actually combine the two. And, and if, if we have time, I'm, I'm happy to go through, do, do kind of a mindfulness activity where I combine kind of the breath with, with relationships as well. Oh, I would love that. Yeah. Well, I want to kind of like moving with that. And I like how you touched on the, the purpose and the, you know, connecting with something greater than ourselves. Cause the, the kind of flip side to the performance or achievement based identity is this purpose based identity. And what is that like? Cause that sounds like something much healthier and something when you strive for and it can actually produce a better performance as well. Like what kind of tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, it's a purpose-based identity is when there is a more sustainable fuel behind your pursuit of excellence. And so it's really uh, something that's strong and foundation of what I build, what's meaningful to me. So it involves where I, if I drive my self-worth around things that are most value, valuable to me or values, and I'm, I'm moving towards that, but there is a connection to something that's greater. I want to make a contribution to make my community better. I want to help kids understand, you know, their worth and their value. I want to uh, bring attention to my, uh, to a cause that I care about. I want to do something good for this world that my self-worth, I can make a contribution. I believe I can make a contribution. And there's kind of a positive view of yourself past sports or past the time that you're using that in that performance context. And so what I found in my research is that these athletes that are, have this more pur- purpose-based identity, they achieve at really high levels as well, but they don't have the consequences of uh, high levels of depression or anxiety or shame and some of the other things that the performance-based identity people do. And it's not whether you have performance-based identity or you don't or purpose-based identity or you don't. It's really we're on a continuum of both of them. And so I think for me is is I've had to find when when I'm reactive about something or I feel that uh, physiological system or I'm, 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 even I might be acting out like I might be um, shorter and fused with my kids or, or get angry quicker. I have to take stock of what's going on in me and say, you know, and often what's happening is I'm moving into a performance based identity place and I need to come back to what's, what I value and what's important to me and center myself in that again. And then I'm at my best and then, and then I can give more. And so purpose based identity really is 
the valuing uh, yourself, valuing uh, the relationships and people around you, um, kind of living for this, this, this transcendent purpose, something bigger than yourself. And throughout history and throughout research, we just do better. And when we're connected to others and we have this connection to, to some type of transcendent purpose, we, we deal with pain better. We, we heal faster. We, you know, it really is. It's more adaptable to live that way. Well, I like that you pointed out too that like it's not always one or the other. We're kind of ebbing and flowing through both. And I, I think I compared I compared myself to um, Star Wars one time to one of my friends who laughed in my face. But it's so true because it's like we're kind of like Luke, right, in Star Wars, where it's yep. you, you know you feel the force moving, but you feel like the dark side pulling you sometimes. But you want to use the force and be on the good side. Like this, it's this constant battle, right? And and I think Michael Phelps is actually I think a really good example because his goal was so much bigger than winning a bunch of medals. I mean, he always put that out there. I'm win eight gold medals. I'm going to do all this. But his whole goal was to evolutionize the sport of swimming, which he Mm -hmm. did. He wanted to completely change it. And he revolutionized it in a huge way. But he has also dealt with depression and all kinds of mental health issues, which he's been very vocal about. Like I loved his HBO special. So I I, I do, I think I can really recognize that in somebody as outstanding as him. So, but I I like that you pointed out that like, you're not just going to have one or the other. There's going to be this ebb and flow of both. But to start recognizing when you're leaning toward that performance-based and trying to pull yourself back to this more purpose-based side. I think that's great. Yeah. And it's, it's really, you know, I think the power of what Michael Phelps, you know, with, with uh, his, the HBO movie or documentary. And then, and then also in, in, in the world right now, I, you know, the more the athletes can really speak out and, and name, you know, when they struggle with depression or anxiety or some of these mental health issues, the better it normalizes for for others, and I think you know there, there's there's a tendency to think that it means weakness in the world of sport, and I think that's one of the revolutions that we're seeing is that we have to start addressing these things, and it's not just in sports. We're seeing trends that are really troublesome for young people right now, where there's high, the highest levels of of loneliness and feelings of. Um, of isolation. And, and of course, with the pandemic, it's, it's been exasperated even more. And so, so in general, our trends towards loneliness and disconnection are happening. So in the world of sports, it's, it's even more challenging in elite sports because you're often traveling and you're committed so much time to, to your craft and you want to, you want to master your craft. And that, that's, that's a, a, a really important thing to do. But I think we have to reframe where we draw our source of strength and our source of self-worth and also be able to slow down to really enjoy the process of it. And, and I think that's one thing that, that many athletes regret when they're done is they say, wow, I wish I would have just slowed down a little bit and really enjoyed this. And, and so I think the mental health piece is really important for us to talk about openly and, and, and for people to start addressing more. Mm-hmm, for sure. And and his uh, special on HBO is called The Weight of Gold. I just blanked there. For That's right. I know. I, I was, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did too. It's, it's a great one to check out. It's really eye-opening. They don't dive super deep into the topics, but it's just a lot of top athletes talking about some of those struggles, very much performance-based. So just things like you said to be aware of, um, to be able to recognize them. But kind of speaking to what you're talking about, like it's it's good to slow down and, and enjoy the moment. Well, we've, we've had to slow down a little bit too much this year, I yeah, think. Yeah, t- totally. <laughs> so like obviously 2020 has taken all of us for... A little bit of a wild ride from lockdowns to all competitions, graduations, jobs, basically life as we know it, like canceled, postponed, or in some kind of weird limbo for the better part of a year. It's wreaked massive chaos in the lives of so many 
suicides up, depression is rampant, domestic abuse has skyrocketed. And if people have somehow remained optimistic through this, that there's still a real struggle of like, when are things going to go back to quote normal? So walk us through what you've seen this year. And, and maybe if you've got some guidance, I, I'm sure you have a lot. We will take it all because we want that healthy mindset moving forward because this isn't permanent. I know it's not permanent. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and that, that, that reframe that it's not permanent, I think is really critical. And yeah, it's, it's hard. It's hard to stay motivated when uh, things feel hopeless or they feel like there's not an end in sight and, and, and uncertainty is, is, is one thing that is challenging for everybody. But for an elite athlete who often tries to orchestrate their life in a pretty structured way to train and, and to go to when to eat and when to train and, and, and when to sleep and when to, um, and, and you take structure completely out almost and there's the unknown, um, it can be very, it, it can produce anxiety and it can produce kind of this general anxiety that you're seeing where people can say, I feel anxious and I'm not sure even why. And they might not even have the outlets that they've had where sports can often be an outlet for our expression in, in, in kind of being able to uh, uh, unwind even our win in practice. I don't have to think about my problems. And so the first thing to do is just acknowledge like this is painful and this is really hard. And to have some grace for yourself and grace for others, we're primed for miscommunication right now with our loved ones, with, with people, with other people. We're, of course, experiencing lots of divides in society. And so I think the first thing is to just to, to be able to practice that empathy for yourself and, and, and compassion for yourself, but also for others as we're all, we all have our own struggles right now. And to again come back to this, uh, value system that's at the core of who we are and say, you know, this gives you a chance to really think about what do I value? What is, what is most important to me? So that when we do restart to our new normal, that we're bringing that lesson with us. You know, I think that's really important. Uh, and, and I've heard a lot of people and, um, you know, a lot of people talk about, you know, learning a new skill during this time or honing some craft or some hobby. I wish I could do all those things, Laura, <laughs> but, but, you know, half the time I'm, I'm also right now just having to do what's best to survive for me and my family and for the people around me. Yeah. We got busier over here. I didn't have time for extra activities. It got like harder at home. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So, so even, but I think that's okay too, is to say, you know what, today is a day where I, I survive, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I try to move, move forward in one area of my life or, you know, some days you just have to get up and stand and other days you get up and you thrive. And, and, and so for people who are facing a, a lot of uh, difficulty right now, you have to be able to, to acknowledge that, but also to reach out and stay connected. Cause what happens with depression is the first thing we often do is isolate ourselves from the people. Even if we love them, even if we enjoy them, there's something that happens to us where the motivation begins to leave, where it's even hard to reach out to people. And so if you stop hearing from people that you usually stay in contact with, just be able to uh, reach out to them and, and, and connect with them. Or if you're feeling down, send a nice note to somebody and, or call them. I mean, or, or, or video chat, whatever it is, because those connections, we can't underestimate how important those are. And even though they have to happen at social distances right now or virtually, 
they're still important for us to maintain and connect. And relationships are so powerful for our emotional health. So give yourself grace and, and empathy, but also other people. Reach out to people when you're feeling uh, low and also reach out to people when you think they're disconnected because relationships are, are, are so important. Take stock of what you value and what's important to you. And then the last thing, I know it sounds uh, maybe even catchy right now because a lot of people talk about it, but it's also gratitude is is my routine every day is to, and, and, and this took a lot of time for me to do, and I still do it even when I don't feel like it. But when I put my two feet on the ground every day, when I get up in the morning, I, I used to try to get five things that I was grateful for. But right now during COVID, I just find one thing. And sometimes it's the same thing every day because it's hard to, you know, it can be hard. But just, just that, that being able to have a mindset of gratitude for what you do have right now um, and what is good in your life and taking stock of that. And then the next step for it is not just to feel it in, in that, the emotion and recognize it, but it's then to express it to the, if it's directed towards a person to, to express it to that person, you know, sending a t even a text to your parents or someone saying, you know what, I, I thought of you today. I'm just so grateful for the, the impact you had on my life. It is amazing how quickly uh, it can give you a little boost of energy that positive emotions are, are things that can really be facilitative in our life. And so instead of just focusing on suppressing the negative emotions or dealing with those, we also have to increase the positive emotions. And that kind of builds our capacities to deal with difficult things. And then ultimately, the connection to say, we're all in this together. And when you're in a community, you say, we're in this together and we can be connected together humans have done some pretty amazing things when they are uh, connected and in struggle together. Oh, for sure. And and I love that you talked about not just being thankful and having gratitude, but expressing it because there's something about, you know, looking at things that way and feeling good about it. But when you're doing something or acknowledging it to somebody else and probably making them feel better and them happy, like that fills you in a different way. You know what I mean? And it's sometimes the best thing, like when I'm struggling with stuff is to stop thinking about myself, like think about myself less and let me help, help, let me start helping somebody else and get my mind on them and helping them. And that just, it's amazing how that can just kind of completely change the way you're thinking about stuff, you know? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think even connecting it back to, to you even asking about, um, how do I regulate emotions in those moments of high stress, even in competition or, or getting ready for it. And, and, and that's another wonderful way to do it is, is when, when you're not, getting ready for your competition or you're warming up or doing things, but to step out of it and say, how can I serve the people around me right now today? Instead of focusing so much on ruminating about my situation and my performance and that, that when you serve others, it automatically kind of takes you out of there and you reap the benefit physiologically as well. And because things like gratitude and generosity and, and, and uh, these more positive happiness and joy, these more positive emotions, they impact our, us physiologically and, and um, neurologically in powerful ways, just like those negative emotions, like fear. So, so again, it's not just addressing the fear, but it's also in emotion regulation is, is, is also upregulating. It's also knowing, being able to experience joy and being present in the moment with your, with your kids or, or, or with their partner or with your teammate or whoever it is. Those are very powerful. And I also think they're performance enhancers. Oh, I love that. This is so good. I love, I'm like taking notes over here. I'm like, I hope we'll be able to read this at the end. This is awesome. <laughs> um, 
Well, okay. Well, something like maybe right now is like some people are starting to compete again. There's there's a little bit here, but I know you know other lockdowns are coming. Like it's going to be up and down for a while. But as we're getting back into the swing of things, you know, it might feel all rainbow and unicorns at the beginning. But we're you know, as any highly competitive athlete knows or should know, adversity is coming again. And it's not always an if, but it's a win with with sports. Um, but what's some advice that you can give us on how to have resilience through adversity? And if there's something we can do to prepare ourselves for that now? I'll give kind of like three kind of foundational things that I would say for preparing ourselves for, for adversity is, is and one of them it starts at the foundation of, of, of yourself, of who you are and, and understanding and taking stock of what do I want to uh, focus on this year in my competition, no matter what, like what are the values that are deeper than just the performance thing? So I want to grow, let's say I want to, I want to grow as a, as a, a human being even, or I want to be a good example for my brother or my sister or, or, I want to stay connected to my family or those things that really get you that that both make you cry at times, but also laugh, you know, like those things that are at the heart of who we are. I think it's really important for us to take stock of that now and begin to ask yourself, am I living into those things? If I say that that being uh, generous is important, am I being generous with my time? It doesn't have to be money. Am I being generous with my time or or am I being generous in, in the way that I'm interacting with others? But go deeper than just kind of those goal settings around, you know, a certain time that I want to meet or score or whatever it is. And say, who do I want to become this year? And then start to say, what are the values that are going to help me become that person this year? But that front-loading work becomes really important to so that you can and, – and, and it goes also to what are my motivations? Like, what am I going to turn to during the most difficult time? So and, – and, and when you, we know those motivations and we think about those, it prepares us during, during adversity to be able to turn to those and to also have the foundation of our value system as the core to help us uh, navigate it. And so the foundation of the self becomes really important to ask yourself some of those deep questions. The mindset skills are also really important when we think about practicing uh, mindset skills like mindfulness, uh, understanding breathing and, and, and your emotion regulation ability and calming down, reframing situations where you, you, you become good at reframing a situation to change how you emotionally see it. So that person who cuts you off on the 10 freeway instead of it being a personal attack against me and my mom, it's it's like, I wonder what they're in. They're in a hurry for something. I hope everything's okay. So you're not advocating road rage. That's good. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and when we, actually, it's funny. When we just reframe a situation a little bit, it can change how we how we think. It's a reappraisal of, of the situation. So, so those mindset skills like that, and there's a lots of mindset skills, like even practicing optimism and gratitude and, and having a calm mind and, and those kinds of things are, are, are often lumped in mindset skills. I think mindset skills are really important, but they have to happen in the in the in the foundation uh, work as well. Um, so those are important. And then the last thing I have to say is is resilience through relationships. Invest in your relationships in healthy ones. Know that those are the people that when you're going to go through a difficult time, they love you unconditionally. You got to have people around you that aren't going to just be around you for your performance. And I know that's hard as an elite athlete, but really have those core people around you that you can be vulnerable with, that you can, that you can trust deeply and that you can walk through hard times with. And sometimes when we're training hard and we're doing things, those are 
are the first thing that go is like we cut off everything in the outside world, but those people are core to your performance because we're, we are, again, I'll go back to it. We do better with connection, you know? So the foundation of the self, the mindset skills and, and really investing in the relationships, those are all things that I think will prepare you to, to uh, go through challenge and adversity. I love that. And I think like, like you said, it's important to have people that will love you and care about you no matter what your performance is like, but also that when you do perform well, they'll also keep you very grounded and not let you that's right. <laughs> get all totally. high and mighty. They'll be like, uh, no, you, you might be good, but you're not that good. Yeah, yeah. that's, that's good. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, that's right. It's keep you centered and, and we'll call you out. Yes. You know? And, and keep you accountable. Totally. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. Well, and I love that you keep talking about mindfulness and we may have some people that don't understand fully what mindfulness is. So, and, and you know, and why it's important. Um, so can you kind of explain like the, the idea of mindfulness a little bit more? There's lots of roots to thinking about mindfulness and, and you have some that kind of come out of contemplative practices of the early church of mindfulness and Buddhism has some mindfulness. And then there's just this, the, the definition of mindfulness when we think about uh, just a non-judgmental awareness of the present moment, of, of really being able to uh, step back and become aware of what's going on in your body, what's going on around you. And when there's this non-judgmental awareness, we can begin to create some space to notice what's going on. And, and, and you know, the, the thing about like anxiety is it, it often robs you of being present in that moment because you're thinking about something in the future. And so it's almost like a disconnection from your body. And so mindfulness is a great opportunity. And, and some people have a practice of mindfulness that they do every day, but it also can just be embedded in your life to say, I need something to ground me right now and be mindful. And so I even have a, a, a really smooth rock, a, a little rock that my, my son gave me. Um, and he wrote, he wrote, he painted on it. It says, Daddy, love Ollie. And you know, that rock, I have it at work and I, I have it in my pocket sometimes. And when I'm really stressed out, I carry it everywhere. But I rub that rock as a way to, to remind me to be present, to be here and what's important. And so that's an act of mindfulness too. Um, the practice of mindfulness is one that is a practice that does take time to, to hone and, and to learn how to do. But being mindful in your day to day is really just stopping, taking even a breath, focusing on that breath, taking stock of, of, of your body in the moment, of the things around you, and just a non-judgmental awareness of, of, of being in the present moment. Yeah. And I love that. And that's really important. So important uh, when you're in the heat of like a performance too, is being able to stay in the moment, not worry about what just happened or what's to come, but to really, really, really be present in that very moment. And that's something that I kind of accidentally learned how to do through um, through injuries and visualization and just my quiet time with God. And I've, I've kind of had figured that out. And now I'm learning that, oh, there's a name for it, you know, but I, I know the breath work you talked about too, is also a great way for people to learn how to be mindful. Like, is that something that you you could kind of guide us through quickly, like just to give us an idea of how to start with that? Sure, sure. Let's, we'll just do a quick kind of mindfulness activity that's very typical of kind of an intro level of, of, of mindfulness. And so to start with, it's really um, just finding a comfortable position. And, and I often will say this in classes that I teach or times that I do this is there doesn't necessarily any magic to how you sit or how you, how you, start your mindfulness practice, but it's, it's often comfortable to just kind of be able to, to sit up in your chair and, and you can put your hand on your abdomen if that's helpful. And let's just start with a deep breath in. So we're going to 
Breathe all the way in and let it all the way out. So deep breath in, out. Let's do that again. Deep breath in and all the way out. I need that today, so I'm going to do it one more time. Deep breath in and out. And now just turning your attention to your breath. That we're always breathing, but we're rarely aware of it. This is an invitation to be aware of breath. Taking note of where you feel the breath. Do you feel it in your abdomen expanding and contracting? Or do you feel it in your chest or the air coming in above your lip into your nose? Just being aware of breath. This moment. This breath. And if the mind wonders, it takes you somewhere else, you think I'm not doing this right, or, or it goes to what your to-do list is, you, your only job is to be aware of those, those thoughts and then come back to breath, the anchor to the present moment. For me, breath also represents a connection to God or, or even for some people to everybody around them, but it's a source of life. And if it's helpful, you can count your breath too. One in, two out. Three in, four out. Get to 10 and then start over. And then the last thing I'll do is just have you imagine being with, turn your attention to a time or a place when you're with somebody who knows you, who loves you unconditionally. There's no performance. There's no proving yourself. But you can just be. Take a moment and imagine yourself sitting with that person, whether they're here still in life or they're not. Imagine what it's like to sit with them, filling in the picture as if it's a painting of what does their face look like? What is the sensations you feel? What does it smell like? What does it feel like? What do you hear? And if your mind wanders somewhere else, Come back to breath, and then go back to that image of sitting with someone who loves you, who you laugh with, who you know you're connected to. I want you to take stock now of yourself in that moment. What are the words that describe you in that moment where you feel connected, you feel known, valued, and loved? And now turning your attention back to your breath. Back to my voice, the sound in the room that you're in, and then opening your eyes when you're ready. What words described you, Laura, in that moment? Um, safe, uh, yeah. loved, protected, and free all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I do this activity a lot when I speak or when I talk to my class, and every time words like that, these powerful words just flow out, and I say, that's who you are. That's, that's the source of your foundation. That's the motivation. That's what you pursue your goals out of is first that foundation. And so sometimes we need to go to that foundation and remind ourselves of that uh, so that we can be free to put ourselves out there and not be afraid that our results are going to be a definition of who we are. But we know that we are valued, that we're loved, that we're safe, that we're that we're um, free. And if we're not, if, it, if it's a struggle and, and, and we've gone through pain and, and that happens, 
that there's hope that you can therapy and counseling can help you work through that to come to that place and and be able to engage in healthy relationships and understanding of yourself too so i want people to know that too that for some people it can be hard when they go to that those to those image too so but yeah that's that's what i would remind you is that you you are valued you are loved you are known you are free and your worth does not depend on your performance and you have something to offer this world that nobody else can take away, that there's a purpose in what you can contribute to those around you. And and there's nothing more powerful than than that. Ooh, I'm going to like tear up over here. That was really powerful. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Ben. Um, kind of like leading from there. Uh, I mean, I just think there's so many people under the impression that in sports, A plus B equals C. Like if you do all the hard work and you do all the things, you're going to get this result that you want. But in reality, that's just not how it usually works. There's so many other factors. Like I like to tell people that's not even the right equation. And one of the things you've studied is like virtue development and high performance. Can you tell us a little bit about the importance of that? Yeah, you know, virtue, virtue development, really virtue sounds like a really kind of fancy word. It's it's really about character. So it, it involves... Um, the self narrative around wanting to do to, to, for a transcendent purpose of knowing who I am and, and that I want to make a contribution to society and it, coupled with the, the, the positive habits that we create in our life and, 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 and the, uh, um, the consistency of how we do things. So it's not enough to just have the self narrative about myself that it's important to contribute and to see my greater purpose. I also have to do something with it. It has to be action oriented. And so creating those habits in our life that line up with that narrative is really where virtue comes is, is really where, where we are operating at, at our best of who we can be. And what's interesting is when we do that, it can really uh, also help us perform better. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a tangible study that we did with marathon runners. We tracked marathon runners over eight months running for a marathon to raise water for clean water for uh, different um, countries in, in Africa. And we studied kind of the impact on, on the, the virtue of self-control over that time period. And those people who put their worth and value around results and performance, their self-control actually declined during that, the, 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 the whole period of the training and they ran slower times in the marathon. Those people who had a connection and worth and value around their virtue about who they are and living in that and that this was a part of what well, I'm doing this because it's connected to who I am and it, their self-control actually increased and they had faster times. So this isn't just a feel-good thing which, which uh, you know, I care mostly about. But when we do have that solid foundation, we are able to also give our best. And I think that's, that's where virtue development and high performance come together. Wow, that's, that's really cool. Okay, now we, I got to give a little backstory here. We met a long time ago at a home build for Hope Sports, one of our favorite organizations. Yep. And um, my husband... Absolutely loved a story that you told about people walking up the hill with the backpack. Like, I'd love for you to share that story with us. Can you do that? Yeah, sure. So, so this actually, it, it's a study that's done by, by a researcher um, with the last name of, of Prophet, <laughs> which I love his last name. But he, in, in several iterations of the study have been done, but it's really, it is really powerful images. Imagine yourself standing in front of a hill. So it's kind of a long grass hill and it's pretty steep, pretty high. If I give you a tool to estimate how high that hill is, like ju just basically the angle of the hill, you'll be able to do that pretty accurately. 
But what, what was really interesting about this study and several others similar to it is if you put somebody in front of that hill and you actually put a backpack on them and you fill it up with something heavy, they will overestimate, even with the right tools, how high that hill is. And it has some to do with this idea of embodied cognition where we're thinking that when our bodies feel heavy, we don't have the resources to get up that hill. So some some calibration. But what's interesting is you can do the same thing with negative emotions. If you induce a negative emotions, people will overestimate how high that hill is. And one of the most powerful things, I think, is if you take somebody that that person knows and feels connected to and you place them beside them, even when they have that backpack on of rocks or you induce the negative emotion, it will be corrective and anticipating that challenge of that hill. And so what's the point is we often try to motivate ourselves through this negative emotion. And it's like putting rocks in our backpack or things around us. And, and we, if we're disconnected and we literally uh, face challenge better when we, when we are connected in these really deep ways. Yeah. I love that. That's so good. Now, if you could give to close us out, like if you could give one bit of advice to young athletes out there listening, what would it be? I know there's so much you could give. (laughs) Yeah, but I I think it's a really important question because it's really a motivation of why I study elite athletes was to be able to translate that to youth sports so that, so that young people. So I would, I would say, don't buy into the lie that when I attain a certain amount of achievement, then I'll feel good about myself. Know that you are worthy and valued right now, that you have something to give right now, that you can make your community better right now, that young people really are not problems to be solved. They, they have the ability to really offer a contributions right now and that your worth and value is not based in how you your results are a future result but it's really it starts with knowing that 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 deep sense of who you are and love and 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 be in and surround yourself with people who will remind you of that because um that's what is is going to help you be able to live your do your best self or you know uh, uh be be your best self but also to be able to pursue excellence without it, it without it burning you out Yes, I love that. You are not a value because of your performance. You have value because of who you are. Um, So good. Ben, thank you so much for taking all this time with us and explaining so much and dropping so many truth bombs. I'm going to have to listen to this episode probably about 30 times to like really be able to soak it all in because this is even though I know a lot of it because I've talked to you before, it's so, so impactful and important and I need to be reminded of it. So thank you so much. Thanks, Laura. I really, I always enjoy a conversation. Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guests. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.